Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. Hello, everybody. Friday, January the 8th, the Friday of a historic week in American history and the history of the American Republic. People always talk about historic weeks. This has, of course, genuinely been one. Uh, we've had pictures, uh, apparently the whole story in a single photo, pictures of men in beards with Confederate flags wandering as if they're in a dream around the American uh, Congress. We have lots of photos of, of all these people in red, keeping America great, of course, undermining American greatness or what many people see as American greatness. Uh, and the greatness of the American Republic, the beacon of democracy in many people's minds for the last 250 years is being undermined by the mob. So how to make sense of it? Do we need to go back to the classic? Should we read or perhaps more appropriately reread Machiavelli? Because I hope everyone's read Machiavelli. Uh, we've all read Machiavelli in our heads, even if we've never actually read the books. Um, one, uh, one pundit asked, what would Machiavelli do in this strange election season of Donald Trump? And I want to take this one step further and talk to one of the world's leading authorities and historians on Machiavelli, Alexander Lee. He's the author of a really interesting and acclaimed new book about Machiavelli, Machiavelli, His Life and Times. Um, Alexander Lee, Alex, uh, is this the week when Machiavelli should be read or reread? Well, hi, Andrew. Thanks very much for having me on. It's great to be here. Um, it's a great question. Uh, as you can probably imagine, I think Machiavelli is somebody that can be read at any time. But you're right in saying that now Machiavelli deserves to be read uh, as of no other. Um, why is that? Well, Machiavelli was writing at a time of tremendous social and political upheaval in Florence and throughout Italy. Uh, his own city, the native city of Florence, um, was during his uh, adult life um, upended continually by social tensions between wealthier members of society, poor members of society, each competing for a different over a different vision of how they should be represented and how the city should be governed. His major works, The Prince and the Discorsi, each speak to uh, this subject from very different points of view. The one from the perspective of how people uh, can gain power and having gained it, uh, once having gained it, they can keep hold of it. And the other looking at how the greatness and liberty of any republic can be maintained. For all those concerned with the uh, our people in the United States at the moment, these two great works of Machiavelli's stand out as being a particular uh, uh, relevance at the moment um, as a means of understanding where these tensions come from, although of course there are um, certain factors, notably uh, the issue of racial discrimination, which are not addressed in, in Machiavelli's works, um, and as a way of looking at how um, 
to achieve the ends which all which each protagonist is seeking to achieve. Of course, uh, Alex, Donald Trump, for better or worse, looms over this week. Um, I don't think it would be an exaggeration to call him a Machiavellian figure, for better or worse. Some people see Trump as the anti-Machiavelli. Some others see him as the Machiavelli. Um, is there something peculiarly Machiavellian uh, or anti-Machiavellian about Trump himself? Well, of course, it depends what you mean by Machiavellian. Well, I'm um, asking you, and of course, that that's uh, that's always in 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 that question. But I'm relying sure. on you to tell me what Machiavellian actually means. Sure. Well, of course, when we use Machiavellian, the word Machiavellian in everyday speech, we're used to using it to refer to somebody who is particularly cunning, possibly amoral, uh, certainly rather shadowy. Um, in that sense, um, it's it's a moot question. Um, it very much depends on what perspective you're looking at Donald Trump from. Um, but the word uh, Machiavellian, uh, does Machiavelli himself scant justice? Um, it was, Machiavelli's name has come to be associated with these rather negative connotations simply because the reception of the prince itself, which from uh, very shortly after its appearance in the early 16th century, was viewed as this Bible of wickedness and amorality. Um, this is, is, is undoubtedly, uh, for me at least, um, a misrepresentation. What Machiavelli is seeking to do above all is uh, to, in, in both the prince and in the discourse, to, is to achieve or uh, find a way of achieving some means of stability for whichever particular system of government is is in place at a given time amidst uh, a mass of social and political tensions. So, in that sense, is is um, it's important to consider what what Michael is actually saying uh, in in his major works. Um, in the, the the prince, of course, he is seeking to demonstrate how somebody who has recently gained uh, power in Florence can retain a hold on government and he suggests that um, a newly minted prince, if you like, um, should uh, eschew the traditional um, uh, virtues uh, which and were joined that upon word, rulers. of course, in our modern sense, as opposed to the 16th century sense of, of virtue. Alex, in well, your mind, of course, Machiavelli is clear. He has to be. You've written um, an enormously detailed and well-researched and, and narrated biography. For most other people, though, Machiavelli is a question mark. Um, Nietzsche famously talked about Machiavelli. Reading Machiavelli was like, I think, galloping on a horse or riding a horse. There's something very brisk something very clear about Machiavelli's prose, something very simple. He's the antithesis of, of Hegel or of Marx or of some other complicated philosopher. And yet there are so many images of, 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 of Machiavelli. Why, given that he writes so clearly, is he still a figure of such deep, passionate, historical disagreement? Um, well, it's right to say that Machiavelli writes briskly and in a very accessible way. Um, he is certainly uh, much easier and more enjoyable to read than, as you said, Hegel or Kant or pretty much any major political philosopher um, since antiquity. Um, but it's perhaps because of that accessibility that he does provoke such um, uh, visceral and different opinions. 
Um, Machiavelli um, is writing for very, very, very specific um, historical conditions, but he does so in such a way that he almost deliberately conceals um, the uh, ends for which he is writing. The Prince has written to, to um, gain favour with and to address the challenges facing the military of Florence. The discourse is designed to address a, a, a lack of um, classical understanding amongst younger people in, in Florence at the same time. But because he conceals his, his intentions, his words uh, are um, apt to have a timeless quality, if you like. I'm, I'm relatively reluctant to say this because I'm not fully convinced, as some people are, that he was writing for eternity. Uh, no. or writing no for one writes for eternity, um, and, and it's, it's hard to but, imagine. But it, it, well, it's not that hard to imagine. Many other Renaissance figures um, quite deliberately say they are writing for posterity. Petrarch, for example, um, repeatedly appeals to uh, the notion of eternity and defeating death um, or both types of death that he identifies. But Machiavelli is quite different. Um, so because he is, um, while he, because he is writing um, within a particular context, but concealing uh, the effects of that, context, of that context or his immediate political goals on many occasions, um, it's very easy to, um, to, to read his works against uh, the present in whichever way you like. Um, it's also worth noting, perhaps, that the ideas which uh, he um, speaks to um, almost lend themselves to being read different ways. The concept of virtue, not, as you rightly said, a modern concept of virtue, but a concept of virtue framed around um, what it means to be a veer, a man, um, somebody who is willing to be bold, dashing, courageous, etc., Fortune now, is a woman, Alex, and, and, it, and you seize it boldly. And of course, Machiavelli, as you note in your biography, was very good at seizing women and, of course, men, both uh, in historical, particularly in sexual terms as well. So there's a, there's a strong sexual element. I do like your idea of masks because, of course, not only, as you remind us, is, is Machiavelli a, a, a masked writer, but he was living at a masked time when the idea of the mask was central in the culture. And of course, there was an element of danger also about the writing. It's not like today where you can pretty much write anything. I mean, if you wrote the wrong thing, you could end up not only in jail, but, uh, but dead. Indeed so, and indeed Machiavelli himself did end up in prison and was tortured on at least one occasion um, in 1513, shortly after the Medici returned to France. Um, so he's very well, well aware of the risks he was he was running um, in addressing uh, any political question, or indeed in taking part in the political process. He, of course, had been a member of uh, the uh, Florentine bureaucracy um, for 14, uh, 15 years by the time uh, he, uh, he was in prison. Uh, and by the time he lost his job. Um, so he knew the stakes. Uh, and yes, it was important to a certain extent to cloak um, one's, yeah. uh, one's meaning and, one and purposes. Of the, one of the, the stories I love most of all about Machiavelli is, as you say, he was uncloaked. He lost his job. Um, he had a, a remarkable early young career as a statesman, as a diplomat, and then was exiled and tortured and imprisoned <laughs> and then retired to write his books. And I love the idea of Machiavelli dressing up in the clothing of statehood to write his books, again, particularly given how masked his narrative and his theories are. Is that a true story? Did he really dress up? 
it's very hard to know whether that story is, is true or not. Um, the story is told in the letter he wrote to his friend, uh, Francesco Vittori, um, in which he uh, describes his t a typical day uh, in uh, enforced retirement in the little village of Sant'Andrea in Percusino, just outside Florence. Um, and it's clear from the tone of the, of the exchange um, that it's meant to be a bit whimsical, a bit funny, etc. And several of the things he describes himself doing um, have a slightly jokey tone to them. So he takes books of poetry out to read by streams, etc. He hunts thrushes in the morning, then at lunchtime he comes back home, has a bite to eat, and then spends the, the afternoon brawling and playing cards and fighting uh, and drinking with um, with uh, the other good-for-nothings, as he put it, puts it in the local inn. Um, and it's only later at night when he returns to his study and just puts on the, 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 the clothes of state which he had been forced to cast off after being uh, deprived of his job um, and starting work on his reading and writing The Prince. Um, it, it's quite obvious that some episodes of this have a comedic quality, um, but it's also not out of sync with uh, what we know about his life at that moment. He didn't have any regular employment. He was living on his farm um, in Sant'Andrea in Percusina. Um, he uh, was a very sociable guy. He did like drinking with the guys. Uh, he did like gambling. Um, but at the same time, he was also an extremely learned man um, who felt very bitterly about um, being out of the political swim and being desperate to get back in. So, yes, I think even though we have no independent means of verifying whether he actually did put on the, uh, the clothes of state, uh, as, as he puts it at night, it's perfectly uh, plausible to believe that he did so metaphorically and uh, followed this pattern of uh, dissipation followed, uh, and then uh, learned uh, uh, activities at night. It's the reverse of what happened this week, where sure. people dress casually. Uh, Machiavelli dressed up in exile. These people came to Washington, D.C., but kept on their regular clothing. Let's sure. go back, Alex, to this, this, um, this narrative that you present of Machiavelli's The Prince and the Discourses fitting together. A lot of people, though, suggest that the Machiavelli of the Prince, which some people see as a handbook for dictators, and the Machiavelli of the Discourses, which some people see as the ultimate statement of Republican virtue, if not democracy, that they're incompatible. They're incompatible. Why, just again, to remind our viewers, why do you see this compatibility between these two works? Um, well, you're right in saying that uh, there is often a contrast seen between these these works, um, but I think it's uh, the, the 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 apparent differences between them disappear if you place them in context and pay close attention to what Machiavelli himself says. Um, the Prince, as I've already mentioned, uh, is uh, addressed to, in the first instance, Giuliano de Medici and then to Lorenzo de Medici, um, and uh, is designed to um, uh, consider how uh, the Medici, having recently returned to France with the help of a Spanish army, can consolidate their hold over the city. Um, as though he speaks about a, a, on the one hand, he speaks about a prince, um, it's necessary to recognize that the prince he was describing was never actually an autocrat. Very few um, princely figures in Renaissance Italy in the early 16th century were you know, complete autocrats. Quite like, uh, and I'm flashing up Cesare Borgia, like like him, who has often Borgia. been associated, uh, Cesare Borgia, who's often been associated with Machiavelli. 
Well, Cesare Borgia is a, is a um, uh, his rule in the Romagna is uh, a slightly special case uh, and it's certainly very, very short lived. Fortunately, um, a special case, uh, Alex. Uh, yes, fortunately a special case. But um, if we look at how the, 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 the Medici governed throughout their time in, in, in France between 1513 and 1527, um, they were um, uh, premium to pares. Uh, they were first among equals. They um, were seeking to dominate the institutions of government. But essentially, and although they, they, they did um, uh, change certain structures, um, they were nevertheless governing um, with rather than against or without um, the uh, same kind of structures that have been in place under notionally Republican rule or the popular republic um, of the past. Obviously, the popular element was downplayed a bit, but essentially it was still there. And what Machiavelli is, underlines in uh, The Prince is that um, a prince who, in, in the Florentine context particularly, who wishes to remain in power uh, must do is, okay, he must perhaps uh, avoid being too honest, he must avoid being too, uh, spending too much money and placing a burden on the public fist, but uh, most importantly, he must know how not to arouse dissent. In other words, he must know how to carry the people uh, with him. Uh, and he specifically emphasizes the people because although um, there was a temptation for princes like the Medici, princes like the Medici to rule with the, well, the help of the, 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 the wealthier members of, of uh, the urban elite, uh, he stresses that in actual fact, any prince that needs to stay in, in, in office needs to um, have the people with him. Now, um, so it, it's not a blueprint for dictatorship, um, although it can be read that way and although people have read it that way, it really isn't. Um, and indeed, in other works that Machiavelli writes, uh, shorter works that he writes address the military at about the same time, he effectively draws up plans for how broadly Republican structures can be preserved under the Medici's rule. And there's evidence that they listen to it. The Discorsi is a, a very different work. As I said earlier, it poses the question of how um, a city like Rome achieved great, achieved and preserved its greatness and liberty. And um, Underlying it is a uh, similar concern, this sense that um, society is polarised um, in 16th century Italy and in 1st, 2nd century BC uh, Rome as well, between uh, the haves and the have-nots, the rich and the poor, the grandi and the popolani. Um, and the red hats and the coastal elites. Yeah, that, that would be another great way of putting it. And so he asks, given that these two uh, groups are mutually opposed, and given that any system of, of, of any constitutional structure that we could think of, be it you know a monarchy, be it a constitutional government, be it an aristocracy or whatever, is likely to be destabilised um, by the rivalry between these groups and the corrupting effects of prosperity, how can we establish a minimum of, of uh, order and peace? How can we balance these two groups? And um, the answer he comes to is that we need to cultivate a measure of virtue, that is to say, a willingness to place the common good over private interest. And we heard this interestingly uh, in Joe Biden's comments a few days ago. Um, and he comes up with a variety of different answers um, that uh, of things that, 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 that we need to cultivate. Let me jump in on Biden. We had Evan Osnos on the, on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago talking about his new biography of Biden. What could Biden learn from reading uh, Machiavelli if he hasn't? And if, Joe, if you're reading, you definitely not only read to read sure. The Distances and the Prince, but also... Uh, Alex's biography. What 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 lessons could Biden learn from from Machiavelli? 
Well, in a sense, um, Biden has already, perhaps instinctively, uh, gained some of the insights, uh, or apprehended some of the insights uh, provided by the discourse. Um, because Machiavelli suggests that if a republic is to avoid fracturing completely and uh, some uh, one faction uh, or one social group is to uh, emerge um, victorious and uh, oppress the others, then, then it must uh, necessarily have uh, certain attributes. There must be um, a desire to limit disparities of wealth. Um, and we've already heard um, Biden, uh, to a certain extent, speaking about um, uh, some of the issues uh, connected with this, particularly with regard to um, racial divisions uh, in, in the United States. Um, he also, uh, Machiavelli also points to the idea um, that uh, law needs to be uh, used as a tool of education um, rather than simply as a means of enforcing control. It should be used to train people. Um, it should reward those who, who um, uh, act in Alex, but this, this, isn't this the sort of left liberal reading of Machiavelli? You could equally say that if Biden was to to read Machiavelli's print, he would learn that you need to tell better lies than Donald Trump. Okay, um, well, let me just let me just continue for a moment with this, Gorsi, because um, I, I will come on in a moment to discuss the implication of the print uh, for Biden as well. Um, in this course, he's really looking at how to um, prevent a polity from fracturing completely and succumbing to um, some form of dictatorship, like it, in Rome's case, it ultimately uh, um, succumbed to in, in, in the uh, person of Caesar. Um, so there's, there's a limiting disparity of wealth, uh, using law as an educative tool, um, encouraging uh, religious worship. That's not to say that um, Machiavelli is, is, is necessarily suggesting that everyone should, should, should become a devout Catholic or whatever, but rather they should um, essentially have a, a cult um, that uh, has a, uh, a, 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 that is um, kind of ontologically um, extended um, and which uh, provides a powerful motivation to put the common good over the private interest. And finally, uh, Machiavelli emphasizes leadership. And this is the point I really wanted to get to. Um, in the Discorsi, um, Machiavelli stresses that a leader who is going to prevent a state losing its liberty and a state that is going to regain, if you like, its greatness, hints of Donald Trump here, that leader must be uncompromising, firm, um, able to anticipate threats to the republic and willing to act vigorously whenever they emerge. Machiavelli had seen too many leaders who had failed to do this. His old boss, Piero Soderini, had cataclysmically failed to do it. And in an echo of recent events in the capital, had, uh, Machiavelli had seen the centre of government in Florence, the Palazzo della Signoria in the centre of Florence, invaded by Medici partisans in 1512. Not so uh, unlike what we're seeing on the screen now. History um, indeed repeats itself. It's remarkable, isn't it? 500 indeed. years and nothing much changes. That's again why Machiavelli re remains such a, a relevant writer, however you interpret him. Um, we had Edmund sure. Fawcett on the show. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with his work. He's, he's written two wonderful books, one on conservatism and one on liberalism. Do you see, and, and, and Machiavelli could arguably be, be seen as, as, as the founder or pioneer of both modern liberalism and modern conservatism. Do you see ultimately Machiavelli being more influential to conservatives or liberals in, in, in a contemporary context? 
Hmm. That's a very interesting question, really. Um, it's not one that I've actually considered. Uh, I really don't work in modern political thought, um, so I'm relatively hesitant, hesitant to speculate too much. Um, but... Uh, That's why you're I, on the show, Alex, to speculate. <laughs> to speculate. Um, to be quite honest, I, I think it's probably um, both is the answer. <laughs> um, but in very different ways. I think um, Machiavelli um, may well um, have had a strong influence directly and indirectly on the development of modern conservatism, especially in the Atlantic tradition. Um, I mean, one thinks of many of the things that he uh, he, he emphasises in both the prints and uh, in, in the prints and the discourse uh, as being key to. Um, you know, good conservative ideals, namely, you know, don't tax the people too much if you can possibly avoid it, because it really irks people and destabilizes government, um, for example. But on the other hand, Machiavelli also does have um, some role to play in um, in, uh, in the liberal tradition as well, um, particularly in, in, in the sense of uh, nurturing uh, nurturing liberty in the long term uh, through the educative effects of law and in limiting uh, disparities of wealth. Um, but I think paradoxically, um, Machiavelli's importance for the development of the liberal tradition um, is uh, twofold. On the one hand, I think he's, you can see a, a neat uh, line of influence running through uh, the, the Enlightenment, the French Enlightenment, for example. You can see references uh, in, in most major uh, you know, early liberal thinkers, most early Republican thinkers, praising Machiavelli's thinking. Um, but interesting, in later years, coming closer towards our own time, um, we find him being a kind of, paradoxically, it's a bugbear, um, particularly um, uh, amongst those who have been inclined to take an uncharitable reading of the prince and view it, in my view, erroneously as a blueprint for evil. Um, he has also paradoxically been used as a symbol of all those things that, that uh, liberals should be aware of and be careful of. Um, so the answer is he influences both. I would not like to say which is more important, and he influence, influences them in different ways um, and with equal equal utility, I think. He's a fascinating figure, Machiavelli. There's so many questions, many more, and I'm going to try and keep them brief, sure. uh, Alex. But um, that was an excellent review of your book by the great anti-liberal British political philosopher John Gray, um, who, and I'm quoting Gray when he says about Machiavelli, he liked your book, but he said, um, uh, in, in his view, your book presents Machiavelli as a radical conservative who wanted sure. to seize self-government from the corrupt oligarchy. But he also says that Machiavelli, and I'm quoting Gray here, planted a bomb between morality and politics. And I sure. think what Gray is suggesting is that Machiavelli was the ultimate political philosopher, establishing political philosophy in contrast to morality. This, of sure. course, suits Gray's own anti-morality Nietzschean philosophy. Do you buy that? Sure. Um, well, um, I myself use the term radical conservative to describe Machiavelli's work in Discorsi. Um, I use it for a very specific reason, um, because um, in contrast to, to how many people have read the Discorsi, I don't believe that Machiavelli is 
necessarily seeking to uh, challenge or, or in any way threaten um, the, uh, the, the, the Medici-run uh, uh, government that was in place at the time he was writing, um, but rather he's suggesting a way of um, remodeling the polity to ensure a, 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 a measure of, of stability. In other words, he wants radically to remodel things, but keep them the way they are. I think very much of Lampedusa in this way, in order for everything right. to remain the same, everything must change. That's yeah, great. From the leopard. Um, and, of course. Uh, um, so that's, but, yeah. Uh, and and, Medici, uh, and and other Italian philosophers have jumped on that one too, right? Sure, indeed so. Um, but to return to your point about um, the, uh, the the separation between politics and and, and uh, morality, that's absolutely true. Machiavelli, as many scholars have pointed out, represents a major step towards the development of reason of state. That is to say that um, governments, uh, rulers of any kind, operate according to different moral dictates to individuals. Um, now, Machiavelli uh, wasn't the very first person to uh, uh, point this out. In actual fact, very shortly after he uh, becomes second chancellor of Florence, there's a big, big issue about the execution of their um, leading commander, uh, their leading military commander, uh, um, uh, um, Vitelli, um, Paolo Vitelli. Um, and uh, in the debates that take place um, about Vitelli, he's they're not quite sure whether he's just been incompetent or whether he's been treacherous um, and nobody's sure whether they should execute him um, without some kind of other due process. But arguments are made then when Machiavelli is still quite young and experienced that governments have to act according to a different set of rules in order to protect themselves, because if they don't act firmly and from a certain point of view, in an amoral way, they will fall pretty quickly. And that's really Machiavelli's point in both um, the, uh, the, the Discorsi and in The Prince, uh, and in many of his other works, that in order to deal with very turbulent times, um, the virtues that all individuals should stick to, and he does say that all individuals should stick to being uh, virtuous in the classical sense, rulers and governments must adhere to a different understanding of what virtue is, manly virtue, of courage, daring, boldness, etc. Yeah, this, uh, this is Lucretius rather than Plato or Aristotle. Some people see the seeds of fascism, sure. classical fascism in this. I don't want to get to that. But very briefly, uh, Alex, I was actually introduced many years ago to Machiavelli by one of the great scholars like you of Machiavelli, more of a political philosophical scholarship, uh, Hannah Pitkin, who wrote a book uh, about Machiavelli called Fortune is a Woman. Uh, is Machiavelli, as, as, as uh, I think Pitkin argued, the, the, the most male of political philosophers? And is he introducing the idea of power and, 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 and politics even as, as a male concept? Uh, interesting question. Uh, earlier on, you uh, rightly pointed out that he said fortune is a woman and should be treated as such. Uh, this is an image to which he returns on several occasions. Uh, and he was a very se he had a very sexual life. I mean, this yeah. was not a this was not a yeah. monk in any way. Yeah, indeed. So, I mean, uh, though he was married to the same woman, uh, Maria de Corsini, throughout his life, and many, many children, he was constantly. He was constantly. 
No, he was constantly having affairs, both with men and women, um, and reveling in doing so. He wrote lots of poems to his various lovers and even in their own voice. However, um, the image that we're talking about is the image of fortune as a woman. Fortune in this case stands for the turbulence and instability of human affairs, the social disorder, the political unrest, etc. Um, Machiavelli says that um, fortune is very much like a woman, in his words, because um, it doesn't listen to reason, it doesn't really care whether you've been good or not, it'll just be crazy anyhow. It's an awful image, it's terribly misogynistic. Um, and he says in order to um, have any chance of making your way uh, in the world amidst this madness, you have to um, be prepared to treat fortune like uh, a woman, and he's very, very cool. I hesitate to, to, to mention this, and he says you have to you know, grab hold of fortune and slap her about a bit. It's, it's terrible to modern readers, um, but it, it is a very vivid, very vivid uh, image that communicates what he wants a virtuous leader to do. Um, does that mean that he has a very masculine vision of power? Um, I'm, I don't think that really is necessarily a, a, a valid way of doing it. He's using a very um, emotive form of language, but there's no sense in which he wishes uh, his model of, of politics or power to be restricted uh, to men or necessarily to be um, wielded uh, or applied only to men either. He, he knew and admired and was bested by several very, very powerful influential women throughout his time. One of his first diplomatic missions was to um, a woman called Katharina Sforza, uh, the Tigress of Forley, and she outwitted him at every way. She got the better of him and he thought she was great. Um, and there were several other examples of that. So, yeah, he's using very masculine language, very misogynistic images that, that shock and appall us today. But I, I don't think that necessarily really merits the idea of him as a masculine political philosopher. Finally, Alex, uh, a few weeks ago, we had the, the wonderful um, American writer Timothy Egan on the show, who wrote a book about recreating the, the pilgrimage of the Middle Ages, a pilgrimage to eternity from Canterbury to Rome in search of a faith. Uh, and it was a, a, a search for his own faith. Very briefly, what did you learn from your book about Machiavelli? You've, it, it, it's an enormous accomplishment. You spent several years researching and writing this book. I assume it didn't acquire a faith, um, but... <laughs> What, what is, um, uh, very briefly, what, what do you know now about yourself and the world that you didn't know before writing this Machiavelli volume? Hmm. About myself and the world? Golly, that is an expansive question. Um, what wasn't I'd considered. Very um, briefly. Um, well, I suppose a Machiavellian response would be that if I had discovered anything, I probably shouldn't tell you. I should keep it secret. Well, no one um, watches this, Alex, so you can tell me and no one will know. Wear your mask. You need a mask there. You can oh, a mask. Yeah, a, a very good point. Um, well, I think um, it would probably have to be uh, that, um, despite his misogynistic language, um, fortune is uh, a good way of thinking about the instability of human affairs and that if we are to uh, make our way in it, we have to keep our heads and take opportunities when we can. Well, there you have it. Fortune is a woman and Machiave and, 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 and Alex, uh, Alex's new book, uh, Alexander, Lee, uh, Alexander Lee, Machiavelli is, is, is Life and Times is a wonderful read. We hardly scratch the surface. It's deeply historical, essential reading on a lot of people's best of 2020 list. 
Uh, Alex, in addition to your book, Strange Times, I know you're in your 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 undisclosed French location just outside Lyon. Um, what else should people be reading in addition to your book in these strange times where we're all still stuck at home, dressing up like Machiavelli? <laughs> well, I have two recommendations for you. The first one is um, James Hankin's Virtue Politics, um, the distillation of uh, a lifetime working on Renaissance, uh, Renaissance history and Renaissance politics. It's an excellent uh, revisionist account of um, uh, the uh, development of the idea of virtue and its centrality to political action in the Renaissance and places Machiavelli um, in the context of, of uh, development of thinking in the long durée. The second recommendation I'm going to make is um, possibly not surprising. Um, it's uh, Dante Alighieri's uh, Divine Comedy. Uh, why do I suggest this now? Two reasons. Number one, it's, a, it's an anniversary year. Uh, this year is the 700th anniversary of Dante's death. So if you're looking for an excuse, that's a great one. The second reason is that Dante, like Machiavelli, uh, even more so than Machiavelli, lived in very turbulent times, uh, was a victim of political unrest. He was exiled from Florence. And in the Commedia, um, you find a way of grappling uh, with those difficulties um, in a very philosophical way. Well, Alexander Lee, it's been a, a pleasure and a delight. I hope I didn't introduce interrupt you too much for a, a totally uninterrupted version of Alexander Lee. As I said, you need to read uh, his new book, Machiavelli, His Life and Times. I know, uh, Alex, you're, you're now writing a, a history of the Venetian ghetto, which I, I eagerly await. And you'll have to come on back on the show as soon as that book is finished to tell me about the book. So thank you again and a happy new and a, ha a happy 2021 and above all, a healthy 2021. Thanks very much for having me. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.